Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and your Wolverhampton Wanderers correspondent from The Athletic, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Yo. Happy Easter to you. Now, on today's podcast, we have a trio of rather interesting humans, I think. We can't touch many humans these days, so talking down the line to them is probably the next best thing, isn't it? The two subject matters today, Tim, are... Yeah, some good guests today. So, the theme of the last week has been donating, fundraising, charitable efforts from the whole club, really, top to bottom, and a host of ex-players... So we're going to be talking about yeah the current fund uh, the the fund from the current players which has been uh, generously donated last week and then Carl Henry and a load of other former players have also put together their own fund for the NHS so we're going to speak to him and Will Clues from the Wolves charity who's been helping put all this together and then we've got the one and only the one the only number nine Sylvan Ebanks Blake mm-hmm, talking about his Uh, oh you can't not though can you i mean i literally can't hear that name without doing that i think it's just one of those evocative moments that every wolf supporter has he's one of the he's one of the great strikers of the last kind of 20 25 30 years for wolves and scored people forget that glut of goals he scored for about two years he was untouchable so yeah looking forward to hearing some uh some great memories from sylvan yeah, looking forward to that. Now, before we hear from Carl, from Will and from Silva and people, obviously, really, I think are actually downloading this podcast just to know whether there is an update on that toilet roll fairy we told you about or you told us about from a couple of weeks ago. Somebody left a toilet roll outside your flat door <laughs> with what was written on it? Uh, looking for me, question mark. <laughs> it's bizarre. Because, put, because you'd put, really struggled to find any. Yeah, I went to 11 shops and couldn't find a toilet roll. And then I put an appeal out on the pod saying, um, describing my woes. And then the next day, someone left a toilet roll by my door. And that person remains a mystery, Jackie. The, the toilet roll fairy um, remains a mystery. So if anyone wants to own up, can you let me know? Because it's actually a bit weird now. I'd love to know. But in terms of <laughs> Easter, did you treat yourself to an Easter egg? What was um, it? Um, I didn't even realise it was Easter um, until until Good Good Friday. I thought I thought Easter was last weekend. Um, I just all the days are just the what? same for me now. Honestly, well, last week you thought that, not this week. You didn't get a bin and gone, and no one had last it last week. I thought it was. I thought Friday was Good Friday, and I was asking someone at work why everyone wasn't off today, and then. They, they revealed that it wasn't Easter. So I'm very confused about my days. No, no, I didn't buy an Easter egg. So yeah. Is, is it, well, has it been Easter now? Is that right? Yes. Well, we're recording this on Easter Monday, which is clearly just another day for you. And people are listening to this <laughs> Tuesday after Easter, thinking they can't believe you didn't have a, a crunchy Easter egg, or in my case, mini eggs. Mini eggs. Oh, nice. So yeah. underrated, aren't they, mini eggs? They are. Um, do you know, I've got a quick confession to make to you before we move on. Mm. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, I cajoled you, I think you were grateful for me doing it, into watching the O.J. Simpson documentary on Oh, iPlayer. it was brilliant. It's amazing, Absolutely right? Absolutely brilliant. I recommend it to anybody. It was fantastic. But I told you, I gave you correct information at the time, and I told you that you've got until Tuesday to watch nine hours of documentary footage, which you then crammed in to oh, three no. days. It's a bit extended. It's been put back on iPlayer for another year. <laughs> You're joking me, man. You're joking. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so It yeah. was correct information at the time. It was. You oh, gave up your life like for, for three days. not moving for three hours at a time. I don't think it went to the toilet at all. Or oh, my goodness. Well, anyway. it was worth it. I don't regret it. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, anyway, apart from not realising it's Easter, not buying yourself Easter eggs and what have you, you have been busy writing articles as usual, and I've been lapping up your content. May I say that? That sounds quite... 
<laughs> it's, it's great <laughs> feedback. <laughs> oh my god! Oh. Um, Kenny Jacket, what a great article Kenny, that was. Yeah, Kenny Jacket, brilliant. Um. <laughs> um, so you wrote a brilliant piece on Kenny Jacket on changing the dressing room mentality after successive relegations and then turning that into a record-breaking League One title-winning team. And then he got ditched by Foson, of course. Tell us about that article. Nicely recovered, Jackie. Nicely recovered. Uh, Kenny Jacket. So, yeah, no. Um, I'll be trying to speak to Kenny for a couple of years, actually. And as as has been the case during lockdown, a lot more, a lot of people are more likely to answer their phones at the moment, which is great. Um, yeah, love speaking to Kenny. And got a real sense of how much he loves the club. Still, he's not, not bitter about his departure. And... Um, it was quite interesting to note the kind of struggles that he had in his third season at the club when he was kind of hamstrung by Steve Morgan's putting the club up for sale. And yeah, lovely to chat to him. He's such a gentleman and he spoke really well about Nuno and Cody and, and the current team as well. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd urge anyone to read it if you haven't already. Yeah, top man, isn't he? And a uh, nice final line about where he stands in the pecking order of Wolves managers over the years. And um, Steve Morgan mentioned him, didn't he, on the podcast last week, which we've had a lot of feedback from. So thank you to everybody who's taken the time to get in touch about that podcast. And um, that's something that he regretted, even though it wasn't anything to do with him, that when he did hand over the reins to the new owners, that Kenny wasn't given a chance particularly. I think it's a valid point. I mean, Kenny was messed around a bit at the end and he's too much of a gentleman to, to say otherwise, you know, even even kind of off the record he wouldn't. He's such he's such a like such a company man, such a gentleman. But yeah, I think looking back, especially, you know, the way that they brought Walter Zenger in from nowhere and gave him an impossible job of trying to bring together twelve players in in a new league in a new country in what a few weeks. So Kenny would have been the ideal man to kind of keep things steady at that time, I think. And he was perhaps pushed out a little too soon. Certainly not not pushed out in great circumstances. You know, he was sacked at what, half 11 on a Friday night. Which I'll never forget, Jackie. I was a couple of a couple of bottles of wine deep in Wolverhampton. And then uh, found out Kenny Jackie got sacked. Oh, what a night that was. Um, so, yeah, I think everyone would have handled it a bit differently. Um, and Morgan was probably right that, you know, Kenny should have been given a, a chance. What are the main reflections you have from the podcast and the reaction that you've had from from what Steve Morgan said in general in, in the sort of 40 minutes or so we had with him? Really good feedback from everyone who, who listened and interesting to note a few people who just refused to listen, which I think kind of shows the strength of feeling that some fans still have about Steve, um, mostly for presiding over those two successive relegations to League One which some people will just never forgive him for, really, and, and hiring Solbakken and, and Saunders, etc. However, he was very honest, I thought, last week and, and said that both of those appointments were failures. And he obviously had you know regrets over his time. But he also rightly points to the way that he left the club in a great position in terms of being debt-free and um, the work he did on the training ground and the academy and the Molyneux with the Stan Collie stand. And left it in a great position for Foson to, to take on that baton. So, although he left the club where he started it in terms of league position, i.e. middle of the championship, I think the work he did off the field was his legacy. And um, and him and Kenny Jacket set the foundations for, for what we see now, which, which shouldn't be forgotten. Yeah, and you can still listen back to that podcast, of course. Just go to the Molly New View um, and look at previous pods. Connor Cody was in there the week before, which was very, very popular listen. 
Now, it's been clearly a very quiet week of football news, as was last week, as was the week before, and probably the week before that. But the main theme has reflected the national theme of supporting the NHS, Tim. Yeah, so Wolves' players have been looking to do something for a few weeks, and they have. They generated, a, 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 last week, a, a six-figure sum to the NHS, which was, which was fantastic. And I know Connor Cody's been spearheading that and has been very keen to be, do, to be doing something um, for the local hospital, for Newcross Hospital, which is great. Um, and we've also seen separately the former players come together, phenomenally really, a long, long, long list of former players, some of whom haven't lived in Wolverhampton for years and have no affiliation to the city whatsoever other than they played a few Wolves games. And Danny Bart has been instrumental in this, but more so Carl Henry has, has been the, the one who's kind of pulled it all together with a phenomenal effort um, and they've raised thousands of thousands of pounds for, for the local NHS, which is, which is fantastic. He has, and he was a leader on the pitch during his time at Wolves 2006 to 2013. And clearly a leader off the pitch now that he's no longer at the club. Let's speak to him now. Hi, Carl. Hi, Jackie. How are you? Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. How did this campaign come about? Um, I think like so many uh, many of us at the moment, I've, I've been so moved and inspired by, by all the stories of, of support and, and help and the community spirit. Um, that's without doubt the silver lining of all all of this. And um, I, I heard that uh, New Cross Hospital in Wolverhampton needed to extend their facilities um, and, and needed funds for that. So um, I immediately wanted to, to help. I contacted Will um, from the who runs the foundation um, and Paul Berry, uh, the former press officer, and um, and, and asked them. What 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 do they think? I, I've got an idea. Can we get the former players um, involved, former staff? I can contact a load of them, and um, could we help bring a fund together and and, um, and 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 see where we go with that? Would the club support us? Um, and Will Will's initial response was, "This is brilliant. We, we can definitely support you. Um, I'm sure the the club will as well." Um, Paul Berry suggested that we get the fans on board, um, which was which was a, a great idea. Um, and I set about calling as many former players um, as I could um, to see if they would um, donate and, and support the, the cause and, and was overwhelmed by the, the, the great response we had. So what was the reaction? So, I mean, because it's quite impressive that you actually picked up the phone and, and rang around all these people asking for money. It'd be a lot easier just to WhatsApp a few people and say, oh, here's a link if anyone wants to donate. But you actually directly rang them and said, can you contribute to a club which in some cases, sacked them and maybe didn't necessarily finish their career there the way they wanted to. So it can't have been that easy. Well, you know what I say, call them. I called I called a number of them and I did message some of them as well, maybe some of the more ferocious characters who I thought might not. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, 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 say I did a number of, of, of calls and, and messages and um, the response was brilliant. And, and like you say as well, a lot of those players, um, some of those players didn't leave on, on great terms. Um and there were players who I thought maybe wouldn't, you know, have, have no, no longer have an affinity with, with Wolverhampton Wanderers or the, the, the city. They no longer live anywhere near the city. And, and I didn't necessarily think they'd want to be involved in something like this. But um, every player I spoke to, the, um, the, the answer was, yes, count me in. What can I do? What can I do to help? Um, I, could have, I first contacted Matt Murray, um, then Danny Bart. Those two have been a major help as well, uh, Matt, in, in getting to some of the players from his era, Danny in getting to some of the players um, who were there since, since I left um, the club. But they've been fantastic. So um, between uh, Danny, Matty, myself, Paul Berry uh, and Will Clues from the, uh, from the, uh, the foundation, 
we've just tried to reach out to as many people as we possibly could. Um, and, you know, people like Mick, not there was Mick rang me as well the next day. He said, count me in. The next day he gave me a call and was just a great idea. I definitely want in. People like Greg Halford, who, um, who you know, maybe the, has had a, a bit of a bad time with the fans. Um, instantly, yes, count me in. Um, David Davis, Wayne Hennessy, you know, Wayne Hennessy made a massive contribution um, as well um, financially. And, and it's just, just brilliant to see in all of this that the focal point is our NHS. They're the ones who are putting themselves in harm's way at the moment, trying to save us all and look after us all. Um, and we all just wanted to, to do our bit. Carl, it's um, it's Tim here. We, we all know about your um, your affinity with the club. Obviously, you were captain and, and player for many years. But what about the city and, and the hospital I- I- itself? Well, I was I was born in, in New Cross, like so many uh, Wolfroonians, and um, um, I also I, I I was a quite bad asthmatic um, and, until I was around sixteen. I was dis- discharged when I was sixteen, but um, I spent a lot of my childhood in and out of New Cross, um, receiving. Uh, various different asthma treatments and they were they were just they were unbelievable they were they were brilliant and my mom I know at the time was was worried like a lot lot of parents um who've got children with asthma or any other kind of illnesses and I had a couple of really bad asthma attacks where I was rushed to the hospital once I was rushed out of my my primary school um and uh an ambulance came to pick me up and once my neighbor had to take me we didn't have a car when we were younger my next door neighbor took me to the hospital and they've just been brilliant um for me and and I know you know it's difficult, isn't it? Because the NHS across the country um, are doing so so well. They're doing such a great job. It's difficult to try and pinpoint one area. Obviously, you start at home and where you're from. And, and New Cross is certainly something that's um, is a hospital that's close to my heart, um, and not so maybe not so much to the other players. Which is why I was so overwhelmed with the response um, we got from them. Um, ultimately, it's the main hospital in Wolverhampton, and. A lot of those players and staff managers, uh, you know, people like Jez Moxie, they 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 know full well um, how much Wolves is part is the heart of the community and and how much the, the fans mean to them and, and meant to them during their time. Well, somebody that you wouldn't necessarily link with having a strong affinity with the club is Glenn Hoddle, um, who is a lovely person. I've worked with Glenn a lot, but he didn't have a strong affinity. So for somebody to phone him up and say, "Would you help?" City of Wolverhampton and its local NHS, and for him to say, "Yeah, sure, here's the money," uh, says quite a lot about him, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I knew Glenn. Um, I worked with Glenn at, when I was at Queens Park Rangers. Um, Harry Redknapp brought him in as a coach, um, and I just thought Glenn was fantastic. And we, we spoke at length about Wolves, um, obviously with, with both of our histories with the club. And um, I, I thought Glenn was just a, a, a great guy, really down to earth, a fantastic coach. Um, and I've kept in touch with him since so I, I dropped him a message and um you know got straight back to me absolutely count me in he's also tweeted as well his support um and i think i think it does just show i think you know footballers have had a bad time with this haven't they over the last couple of weeks um and in my experience in football um in every club I've, I've i've been at there are there are lots of players who go under the radar and who are doing a lot of good things um and because they're not shouting about it from the rooftops people don't always think that they're doing anything at all but there are a lot of players who are doing things and a lot of former players um, who are doing their bit as well so I was really pleased to see what Jordan Henderson did and and to see uh, that, the, that the club I mean Wolves itself the players there Connor Cody is, is, is a thoroughly decent um, human being and, and he understood this straight away and I know they were talking about doing something before before they did um, it was a great gesture from them um, and footballers across the country are, are as far as I know are, are doing their bit they're all 
where's those who, who don't? Um, and that's the same in every walk of life. But um, we as former players, me certainly with the affinity I have with the city, I was born and raised in Wolverhampton. I love the place. Um, and I, I, I was only too, too eager to try and get to former players as well. I didn't think they would all want to get involved and and um and support the cause but but they have and, and fair play and people like me like you say glenn hoddle um jess moxie terry connor um, there are so many players i can't even list them all but certainly the players who might have left under a cloud and, and maybe thought you know what I, i'm not sure how how the wolves fans think about me i hope i hope certainly now looking at those list of names that the that the, the wolves supporters do look at it and think actually you know these players do care and they and they did care and if people want to donate, where can they go to? If you Google um, GoFundMe and Wolves Form, if you Google GoFundMe Wolves Former Players, you'll find our page. Um, and any contributions, however big or small, will be hugely um, appreciated. We've got a target of, of 50,000. Uh, we're almost at 30,000 now. We're going to have a real big push, really try and get there um, for to support our local nurses and, and NHS workers. Um, and fingers crossed we get there. That's brilliant. Wonderful that you're doing that. So well done to you. And uh it's a hospital close to my heart as well. It's where I was born. Unfortunately, I don't remember it very well. And my mum's just had a broken arm, a cast taken off there, and uh, they are doing a wonderful job. So thank you for that. And just finally, Carl, uh, what are you up to these days? What's your plan, management, coaching? Um, I started my badges. I uh, started my, my UA for B last year with David Jones, um, my former midfield partner, um, who I love mm-hmm. to death. Um, so, um, yeah, I've, I've started my badges. I, I, I always thought I didn't, didn't want to stay in football, um, when I finish, but uh, speaking to so many of my former coaches and managers, they've all said, look, get your badges and, and you never know. So I'm going through the process and, and we'll see where that, that, that takes me. Yeah, I'm surprised you're reluctant. I thought you'd be nailed on for management. You've got that character, that drive. You wouldn't be afraid to give someone the hair dryer treatment. And and uh, having seen it all from midfield as well, I really would have thought you'd be up for that. Um, yeah, do you know what? I love it. I love the tactical side of the game, and and I do. I really want to. I do want to give management a go now. I think when you're playing and you've you've been, you know, I was in the system for such a long time. I full time from from six, the age of sixteen. I was at Stoke from eleven, and when I retired, I kind of just thought, you know what? I really, I really want to enjoy my time with my kids. I've got two boys, seven and four, um, and I want to just enjoy that time with them. And I think you come out of football and and you realise, you know what, I've been told what time to, to be in, what time to eat, what time to sleep, what to eat for such a long time now. You just become so institutionalised that it's really nice to to be out of that, to break out of it. But I guess as a, as manager, you you kind of maybe more set in those rules as opposed to abiding by them. So, um, yeah, my mind's definitely been changed and I, I will I would like to give it a go. Oh, brilliant. Well, that would be very interesting to see in the years ahead. Thank you so much for joining us, Carl, and well done again on your campaign. Fantastic stuff. Jackie, sorry, can I just say one more thing? I just wanted to thank the former Wolves Players uh, Association, um, John Richards and Steve Daly uh, and Richard Green. They've made a fantastic contribution and also been a real big help. So I must not forget them. They've been absolutely brilliant in all of this as well. Absolutely. We've seen them on social media promoting it as well. So thanks very much, Carl, and you take care. Thank you. Take care, guys. Bye. Great to hear from Carl there, Tim, on uh, on his drive, really, to help his home city. He didn't have to do that. He could easily have sat and watched others and players who are on a lot of money these days giving from their own pocket. But no, he, he wanted to make a difference himself and fair play to him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Carl's, Carl played for a lot of clubs in his careers and, and left Wolves, what, six, seven years ago now? So it shows you, as he was kind of saying, the affinity he's got with the area. But yeah, this hasn't been a, a simple process of like sending... 20 kind of template text messages to 20 former teammates or whatever it's been a huge undertaking a lot of work's gone on behind the scenes 
and all for charity. And you, you've you've just got to take your hat off to, to the work that him, in particular, Carl, but others as well, have done. And it's just fantastic to see, you know, the the, the Wolves family coming together and raising so much money. Well, one of the people that Carl mentioned there that he's been involved with in helping to get this campaign off the ground and coordinating with the local NHS has been Will Clues, who's the head of Wolves Foundation. And he's uh, done plenty of work uh, on this campaign with a lot of other work besides. Hi, Will. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, well, thank you. Please just explain to us what your role has entailed in the past couple of weeks. Um, quite a different one from normal. Uh, obviously, once... Um once we'd all decided to uh, shut the club down uh, due to the the outbreak of the virus, um, we've we've sort of diversified our, our our type of work as much as possible. The foundation connects with local people, delivering uh, projects and initiatives uh, to benefit their lives in some way. So, um, obviously, not being able to be in front of people, we've had to change quite a lot. And so, describe who you've been talking to at the NHS Trust and, and how you've been um, sort of coordinating this campaign, really, and, and who needs the money and where it's going. Yeah, well, we, um, I, I, I had an early conversation with Jeff Shee around, um, around Foton's desire to try and help uh, as much as possible um, within Wolverhampton. You know, being a, being a corporate resident of the city, it's very important that uh, they could try and help and support in any way they could. They got experience from helping in helping other uh, cities and countries around the world, um, and obviously experience with the outbreak of the virus in China. So um, we initially made some conversation uh, contacts with uh, NHS and public health around what their needs were um, at any any current time, and those needs um, and requests have changed quite a lot as the virus has sort of taken hold and. The, the fast-paced nature of it. So um, we've been we've been able to link um, Royal Wolverhampton NHS with uh, Foson, Foson UK, and then um, their connections back in China to try and help support with um, identifying supplies of PPE uh, and shipping and and uh, donating PPE to both the hospital and um, and local health, local authority for community care provision. Um, so quite different than the than the day job, uh, but nevertheless something that's been really important uh, over the last few weeks. How hands on has Jeff Shee been in all this? Oh, Jeff's been Jeff's been uh, extremely positive. He's been really supportive all the way through with with the senior management team at the football club. We've been in sort of daily contact on on a range of topics, as you can imagine. Uh, and of course, he's he's received a lot of information and intelligence from China, what they've learned from. Uh, the outbreak so far um, so he's, he's been keen to help in whichever way he could. Foson have been phenomenal and leading from the front and been so proactive um, during the past kind of few weeks how would you kind of describe the scale of exactly you know what they're doing to help people? Um, I think Tim it was it was it was just it was just really nice and refreshing but unsurprising of Foson you know to, to have you know this real strong desire to help uh, and help in whichever way they could you know Jeff's Jeff's given us from a foundation point of view full license to do whatever we need to do to try and continue the work that we do and then aside from that um you know this help in particular with PPE so um it's it's been so nice to um to then speak to many of Jeff's colleagues uh, a lot of which I've not spoken to or, or liaised with before um in in trying to help and and their collective sort of will and desire to make sure that you know, with with PPE in particular, it was identified, it was procured, it was shipped and packed and and sent to Molyneux as quickly as possible just to get it straight to the front line. So it's just it's just sort of quite remarkable, really, the um, 
the the intensity uh, and and the determination that they got to try and help out. You mentioned PPE. I've stuck a couple of um, pictures out on Twitter in the last couple of days, which have got quite the, quite a reaction of these um, wolves branded masks, yes, which yeah. are doing the rounds. Um, are these? Um, can you tell us a bit about them? Who who will they be sent to, and and can, can anyone get their hands on one? Well, I'm, I'm not sure about that bit. I, I, maybe so, uh, and I think I think over time, you know, we're, we're all learning a lot about the virus, and and it feels like that it's going to be a long time before things return to normal. So social distancing is going to be something I think that we get used to, and therefore maybe more socially acceptable. You know, the wearing of a mask in public in general. Um, and um, we, we've had some produced already uh, by Fosen that they've sent over um, that have been supplied to some staff, uh, some of the foundation staff that are working on the front line. Um, and uh, some have also been sent to players. Uh, there, may be, there may be an opportunity to, um, to provide them for supporters to purchase at a later date. I'm not 100% sure, but uh, I'm sure if, the, if there was enough, uh, if there was enough um, requests and desire, then I'm sure it could be done. Oh, if you've got any spare going on, I mean, we know what they're for. We know how important they are. But when I'm off on my morning cycle around all the posh Chelsea players' houses in Cobham, I'd love to be wearing a Wolves mask as I go past, waving at John Terry and everybody. That'd be amazing. They would go down. You can actually raise a lot of money from them, especially if you get them signed. We probably could. Yeah, we probably could. I mean, it, it was just it, initially just a nice gesture. You know, we, we, we're all getting used to wearing masks. And, you know, Fosun were, Fosun were very quick to supply all the staff. Uh, with masks, uh, as we were sent sent from Molyneux, um, and I, I suppose it's just it, it's a it's a nice it's a nice friendly additional sort of gesture from from them uh, to send these over. And I say I'm sure yeah if they if they're well received, there might be an opportunity for people to get their hands on them. Brilliant. Well, it's fantastic work you're doing there. And just um, elsewhere, obviously, there's no football to be talking about. But any other news you've got for us, Will, from behind the scenes of the club of who's doing what at the moment? We sort of developed lots of projects, Jackie, when, when you know, from a foundation point of view, we had to diversify and try and deliver as much as we could. So we create, create the Wolves at Home project, which is really nice. You know, about 3,000 supporters receiving a call from staff, um, just checking in to see how they're doing. You know, any of those who, who are sort of deemed particularly vulnerable, they're then sort of followed up with, uh, with home visits for uh, food and medication. We've got lots of the foundation team volunteering on other projects, both the NHS and with local authority. We handed over our arena to local authorities to support the uh, the central food hub uh, for the delivery of all those uh, requirements to local people. So it's it's been a it's been a remarkable uh, few weeks for everybody, and it's it's been fantastic to sort of pull everybody together from across departments within the club. Uh, those with a I think we've all got a sort of collective desire and almost moral obligation to try and help in any way that we can. Uh, and so it's been great that we can then we can then use some of the resources within the club to support uh, the city, you know, in, in these difficult times. Uh, and then, of course, Carl's done done great. You know, he's our ambassador and you know, his idea to kick off a former players fund as well, which is really going well at the moment and hoping that many more people can contribute um, because it's all going to such a great cause. You know, the New Cross and the NHS right across the country are doing such an amazing job um, that it's great that we can contribute in a variety of different ways. Thanks, Will. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks very much. Appreciate you joining us. That's Will Clues, head of the Wolves Foundation. Tim, good for Wolves fans to hear what's going on at their club and knowing that the the charitable stuff is not just taking a back seat while we wait for the football to resume again. I think it's I think it's unbelievable what, what Wolves are doing. And, you know, I speak to colleagues at The Athletic who obviously cover other clubs. And from what I can gather, 
I'm not sure there's another club that's doing as much as uh, as Wolves are. You know, from Jeff Shee downwards, the response has been so proactive and they've had, you know, a heads up from what's happened in China as, as to how to best tackle this over here and, and what they can do to help their employees. And they've done it and they were the first Premier League club to completely shut down. And now since then, you know, they're, they're trying to help the community via FOSUN with, with masks and equipment and whatnot. They're raising money. They're still doing all their charity work. You know, the Wolves Foundation, as Will was saying, is still up and running as much as it can be. Other clubs is... Other clubs, charities, you know, not so much the case either for a variety of reasons to do with funding and staff. And even at Wolves, you know, no one's been furloughed. Everyone's still being paid and is working. And even a couple of the quieter departments like retail or or the ticket office, you know, where they're not going to have much going on, they're helping out in the charitable effort as well. So it's a real united front. And I think everybody should just be so proud um, of everything that Wolves are doing. Harry's sponsors The Molly New View, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who are sick and tired of paying for overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew that there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, weighted ergonomic handle, five precision engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel and travel blade cover, which is precisely what you need, Tim, presumably, bearing in mind you're stuck at home for months on end. Uh, I've gone a little bit Tom Hanks in Castaway at the moment. So Have you? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, getting, it's getting quite bushy, as I would describe <sighs> it. Uh, so yeah, I'll need, I'll need a shave at some point. <laughs> As a listener of the Molly New View podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. So support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash view. That's harrys.com forward slash view. So that's what's been going on off the pitch as the Wolves family have pulled together in this crisis. But our next guest joins us now to reflect on his significant role for the club on the pitch after he signed from Plymouth in 2008. And he was named Championship Player of the Year in 2009 as he fired Wolves to promotion to the Premier League. And he remained at the club, albeit struck by injuries, as Wolves dropped down to League One. So he's got a few stories to tell, no doubt about that. Hi, Sylvan Ebanks-Blake. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on. What are you up to at the moment in these strange times we're living in? Uh, not too much. Just trying to stay safe, stay out of the way. Um, do my little bit of exercise here and there and a bit of homeschooling with the kids. And, and that's pretty much it, really. How old are your kids? Um, I've got three kids, so they're 10 and they're, two of them are five. So I've got Irish twins. So my son was, <laughs> my son was five on Friday and then my daughter turned six on the 22nd of this month so yeah blimey that kept you busy hey yeah, um, yeah so... I was injured at the time <laughs> <laughs> well, well it's a way of keeping fit I'm sure Mick would have been very oh, actually it was since then wasn't it <laughs> home uh, fitness Sylvan Ebanks Blake style <laughs> yeah oh, I mean this is Wolves podcast you, you've had a good career before and, and after Wolves but just tell us how would you describe your Wolves career when you sit back now for several hours a day with time to reflect? I'd say it went downhill after Wolves, to be honest. But yeah, but, um, <laughs> but no, I had, a, I, had, um, I had a great time at Wolves. 
uh, it was a it was a brilliant period, probably the best time of my career really, um, and it just worked out well. I think it was the right manager, the right set of players, the right football club, and it's very rare you get that in your career, and it it all just clicked and and went really well for not just myself but everyone that was involved with the football club at that time. Um, just to t- just to take it back a quick step earlier than that, obviously uh, people remember you came through the Man United Youth Academy, and I gather. It- was it was it not was it not in your hands that you could stay at the club? Was it kind of a case of you know you'd been moved on when you went to Plymouth? Yeah, so I had a I had a meeting with Sir Alex. He um, he called me into his office, said that that Ian Holloway at Plymouth had made a bid for me, uh, that the club had accepted it. Uh, he thought that I should go and play for for Ian Holloway. He's a good manager, looks after young players and develops them, and that you know he thinks that I'll go on to be a good player, but not quite ready for for Manchester United at that time and. I sort of took that as a blessing, although I was disappointed. I took that on and, and went on to try and shape a career for myself. You've talked about your time at Wolves being the highlight of your career, but what made it so successful, do you think? Uh, I think the goals help. I think it's important that when you're a striker and you come into a new football club that you score goals quickly. Luckily for me, that happened um, and that we were successful. And ultimately, we were successful. So um, I think those two things helped. And uh, it was just, it's just a great time and a great football club and, and it just worked out well from the minute I stepped through the door. You had a good dressing room as well and a very good manager in Mick McCarthy. We always hear from players talking about Mick saying they loved his honesty and what a good manager he was. Can you give us some anecdotes about what made him so good and what sort of things he'd do to improve your game, your motivation, both individually and as a group? I think... Um... I think for me personally, Mick, Mick was good for me. He was the perfect manager for me at the time. Uh, I was 20, 21, 22, 23. I like to enjoy my life as well. Um, and I just think he was he was the perfect manager. He was sort of like that school teacher-esque, but not. He, he was still, he could still relate to us as players, but he had a line and, um, and discipline was important. It was important that you were on time. It was important that you trained hard, worked hard, that you all supported each other, that you were all together but then you could still have a bit of fun on the side. And he always gave me a bit of leeway with that. I think he knew how to manage his players and especially me. And that's what, that's what made him good. He, was, um, he understood his players. I think he was really good with sort of younger players and developing them. And, um, and it worked really well. That team, I mean, it's regarded rightly as so successful. Um, probably, the, you know, the best Wolves team in, like, in about 30 years in terms of staying in the Premier League for three years. But I always I was wonder... You had like you, Jarvis, Kitely, Doyle, then Fletcher and Hennessy and O'Hara and Milias and all these players. Do you do you think you guys should have achieved more, or was or was staying in the Premier League as as um, about right for that team? I think at the time it was the whole thing was just staying in the Premier League and then building on that. Um, if I go back to that period, which is a few years ago now, it was get promoted. It was about just consolidating, staying in the Premier League. Then the next year, spending a bit more money, bringing in improving the squad and then trying to work your way up the league but not getting carried away because obviously the second seasons always tend to be the harder season. Um, did we underachieve? Uh, probably in areas, yeah, definitely, especially with the players that we had. But um, the Premier League is a very difficult league and um, and I think we lost a lot of that sort of camaraderie when when sort of new newer players were coming in and some of the older players were going out. I just don't know if we got the mix right over the over the course of the time that we were in the Premier League to be as successful as we could have been. Because you always showed your potential. Remember that second season when beating like Liverpool and Chelsea and Man United and 
I think that 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 showed how good that team could be. Yeah, maybe it's just like a bit of a lack of consistency as well. Do you think? Yeah, I think a lack of consistency. I think um, I think uh, also we just I, I don't know if we believed we could go up the. You know, you look at the current Wolf squad, and you know it's a it's a brilliant squad. But I, I don't know if maybe we had that inner belief that we could go up the league. Um, I just think the mindset was more about um, just winning enough games to stay in the league. Uh, I think I think thinking back as well, I think it was a mistake to sack Mick at the time they sacked him because I thought I thought we would have stayed up that season. That could have been the difference. Um, in my opinion, I just I just don't think the decision to sack him at the time they sacked him was the right one. Had they kept him, who knows what would have happened? I believe we we would have stayed up, and who knows what could have gone on after that. Um, but but you know that's that's water under the bridge now. We had the owner Steve Morgan on the podcast last week, who was saying he regretted sacking Mick McCarthy. Then he thought it was too late. He thought he should have sacked him earlier. What, what did you say to that? Uh, I don't agree with that at all. I think it's it's okay to say you you're going to sack him earlier, but who would you have replaced him with that would have that would have improved us at that time? That would have known the squad and improved that squad at that time. Um, so for me, it's I, I don't necessarily agree with that statement. I think when they when they did sack him, they didn't have a plan to replace Mick. That's that's ultimately why I think it was it was wrong, and. Um, and they should have just kept him in place once they once we'd gone that far in the season. Um, we should have kept Mick in place because he knew us, he knew the squad, and he would have, you know, we would have probably survived that season. I believe the season before that we were probably worse off at the same point in the season. So, for me, I just think um, it was it was a mistake all round. It obviously happened just after that five-one home defeat by West Brom, which. It wasn't a great performance, it has to be said. And of course, after that, it was that that awful kind of stretch towards the end of the season. I think it was about 13 games. And, and clearly, there hadn't been a plan to get another yeah. manager in place, which in one way, you could say, well, it's nice they didn't go behind Mick McCarthy's back to line somebody else up. But of course, they didn't have a plan um, to have another manager. So what was it like being a player at that time when you're reading about the club going from manager to manager, being turned down by different managers as well. And, and ultimately, Terry Connor, Mick's assistant, being given that job at that time. Yeah, I think, I think just to go back in your question a bit, there, I think ultimately you have to have a plan. I think um, going behind a manager's back and that sort of thing, it's, I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but it's, it's, part, of, it's part of planning. If you, if you feel that the manager in place is, is not um, keeping up to the expectations, then you have to have... You have to have a contingency in place. That's just any good business, and we and we obviously at the time we, we didn't have that, so that was disappointing. As a player at the time, it was difficult. I I was very close to Mick and, and TC and and all the staff at the club at the time. So when we heard of him getting sacked, it was natural disappointment. I was very disappointed. I didn't agree with it. I don't think a lot of the the players agreed with it. And then I think what happened after that was was disappointing really because you know we probably needed some guidance. And and that wasn't forthcoming, and and ultimately the results we paid with the results really. But just going back to when he got sacked after that West Brom game, it's a disappointing game. You never want to get get beat in a derby, but I think in football you can never let emotions override you when you're doing well or when you're doing bad. You've always got to sort of keep keep that sense of that middle ground. And it was it was a hasty decision for me, and it was it was the wrong one, obviously. Sylvan, it was a year later when you when you left the club after after that relegation to League One. Obviously, you were in such great form that season, as everyone will remember, and then you know the Paul Robinson tackle, etc. And then you left that summer. Was there ever, was there ever a case of you? Uh, w- would you have stayed, or was it the injury that kind of 
finished you off at that time, or was there any op- was there an option to stay? Uh, there wasn't an option to stay. Uh, to be honest, at the time it was um, the club was was moving in a different direction. We were obviously you know the hangover from getting relegated from the Premier League, and then that was taken into the Championship season where we had sort of the squad had a losing mentality because in the Premier League you just had to. You just had to win enough games to stay in, whereas in the Championship you expected to win the majority of your games. Um, and I think the mentality shift wasn't there and we we just had that losing mentality and it carried on. Um, so then once, I think we got to sort of around Christmas time and just after that, um, I think the club was, was almost preparing for the potential of us going down. And I think for me personally, as after I got injured and, and results started to, to go you know, started to go down. I think the club looked at it and thought they needed to go in a different direction. Um, obviously, at that time, I was, you know, I was earning a fair bit of money and I think they just wanted to... I don't think it was necessarily the money issue. I think it was more about wanting to just sort of change the squad around and, and start something new with maybe a new manager and a new direction. And uh, so so it, it, there was never really um, any sort of discussions for me to stay. It was sort of... It sort of just petered out, really, with my injury. So did you want to stay? I would have stayed. Of course I would have stayed. If there was an offer for me to stay, I would have stayed. I would have never wanted to leave the football club at that time. Why would I have? I was, I was in good form. I was doing everything I could on the pitch to try and, to try and keep us in that league. And so were all the other players. Um, I was happy. My family are in the area. I still live in the area now to this day. I, would, I never wanted to leave. I just felt like there wasn't really an option for me to stay. Going back a little bit, when you were banging in the goals before any injuries, you won the Golden Boot two years in a row. Was there any interest or any bids from any other clubs to take you from Wolves? Not really. Not not, not officially. I remember there was sort of different write-ups and different murmurs and stuff from Everton and, and a couple of other clubs. But there was nothing ever solid. But I, my message at that time was I'm not going anywhere. Like Wolves fulfilled all my um, ambitions at the time. I, I was happy at the football club. We were progressing. Um, we were under a good manager, a good coaching staff. We had good players that all wanted to to do well. So I think as a player, when that message is clear that, look, I, I don't want to go anywhere, I'm happy here, then you don't necessarily get the speculation in and around you. I think when players want to leave, that's when speculation tends to tends to circle them. Uh, Sylvan, you played with some amazing strike partners at Wolves, thinking guys like Kevin Doyle, Fletcher, Keogh, Uwalumo. Um so picture the scenario, right? Wolves are playing West Brom this weekend. You're up front in a four four two. Who are you gonna pick at the players you played with to play up front alongside you? Uh, Andy Kia. Oh, that's that. quick. Yeah. <laughs> that's because of his work rate, isn't it? He'd do everything yeah. for you. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, Be honest, she's... come on. Okay, well, okay. There she goes. There she goes. You, 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 oh, got, you guys on, must have did... met, met before by the sound of it. Huh? <laughs> you guys must have met before, mate. She knows you so well. <laughs> oh, oh no, everybody yeah. would love to play up front with Keo though, wouldn't he? Keo He's such a great. workhorse. Keo is, is brilliant. Keo's like um I speak to him now and again still, but he was just brilliant. I love I love Keo. We got on from the minute I met him, and um, and it, and he was great to play with. Like you said, you're not wrong. He, he would he just work his socks off, and he was he was selfless and just worked for the team. He'd chip in with the odd goals as well, and he was so underrated at his time at Wolves for me. And um, I just loved playing with him, loved training with him, and, and like you said, he just he worked really hard, and then gave me the opportunities to score the tap-ins that I did. When you look back and you think how you 
did so well there in the Premier League, stayed in the Premier League, and then developed that losing mentality, as you put it. If you could change anything now, not so much individually, but if, if you wish the club or manager or things had been done slightly differently, what would you say needed to be done for the club to reverse that and go on to achieve better things in the Premier League and stay there? I just don't think they should have sacked Mick McCarthy at the time they did. Um, I think if you're going to sack a manager, you sack him at the beginning of the season because you've got a new philosophy and a new strategy that you want to take forward into a new season. You give that manager time to have a pre-season with the with the players, bring his own players in. At the time they sacked Mick, we we didn't have no chance if you look back on it. And and I felt that, I sort of felt that at the time. But having had time to sort of come out of it and look back on it, we we had. We had very little chance to survive at that time um, with, with no real plan. And I just think that decision for me was just fundamentally wrong and it shouldn't have happened. And if it didn't happen, I believe we would have stayed in the Premier League that season. I believe that strongly. And I think any player you speak to will say the same. I think we would have had at least a fighting chance of staying up that season. And we fought the seasons prior to that as well and we stayed in the Premier League. So... There's no reason for me to believe that we wouldn't have. But I think once you sack the manager that was so keen to bring in all those players into the football club, it becomes very difficult. Um, you scored so many goals in your time there. Some obvious ones that kind of stand out. The QPR promotion goal, the Charlton Wonder goal as well. I wondered, um, I was at Old Trafford the day you scored. Um, uh, was it Park G Sung scored that last minute winner that day? It was absolutely yeah, heart-wrenching, yeah, wasn't it? But yeah, ha- how, um, was that a big moment as well, going back to Old Trafford and scoring? Yeah, that was massive. That was uh, that was a massive occasion for me. It was brilliant because um, I've got great memories of my time at, at Manchester United. We had a lot of good players at the time, and a lot of us went on to have good careers and stuff like that, and play professionally. So I had a lot of fond memories. I went there as a as a youngster straight out of school. So to go back there to score to perform well, it was um, it's brilliant anyway to score at Old Trafford. But for me personally, it was, uh, it was a special moment. Yeah. Definitely. What's next for you now, Sylvan? Not playing anymore? And any thoughts about staying in football in some capacity, or are you planning a career outside of the game? Um, it's difficult, really. I'm still sort of working that out. I do a little bit of work with MUTV. I do a bit with Wolves here and there, um, and I'm enjoying that part of it as well. Uh, but other than that, I've not really decided. I've looked at the coaching side of it, and I don't think it's really for me personally. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just taking my time and deciding exactly what I want to go into. I have, a, I have other interests outside of outside of football as well that I look into. But, um, you know, the, the world's a changing world at the moment. So I've just got to reassess everything at this time and, and just see what I want to do. But ultimately, whatever I do, I want to enjoy it. Uh, the stuff I do with MUTV, whenever I come up to Wolves as well and do a few games with Mikey, I enjoy that. And uh, I think for me, it's about enjoyment. So whatever I decide to do, Going forward, I, I want to make sure that it's enjoyable. We had Cole Henry on the podcast earlier talking about his fundraising for the uh, NHS locally. Yeah. And uh, we mentioned about going into management. He said he didn't think he wanted to, but now he's changed his mind. He's doing his badges and it is something he wants to have a go at. Would you back him to be a success as a manager? And if so, why? Yeah, I think Cole will be good. He's um, He's got a lot of opinions about the game. He's a very opinionated person, Cole. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, but he's got... He's got um, the way he looks at the game is is very good. Um, he's got good knowledge of the game. He's played at he's played at very good football clubs. He's been successful at those football clubs as well. He's got a certain work ethic that I think you need as well to be a manager because it's long hours and it takes a lot of dedication. So, yeah, I, I definitely think Cole can 
can do well in the game. But it's difficult. It's difficult. He's got to, he's got to, you know, learn his stripes right at the bottom and build himself up. But uh, if anyone could do it, Carl could do it because he's got that. He's got that grit and determination. He had it as a player. He's definitely in his personality. He doesn't really give up on anything. He's he's stubborn in that respect. And uh, yeah, I think he he can, he can do well at that. Great. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Sylvan. No worries. Great to hear from Sylvan Ebanks-Blake there and some great memories as well. Very lucky to have had him at the club during his best goal-scoring years. Now, just before we close the pod, we've got a few Twitter questions that came in last week. We didn't get a chance to answer after speaking to Steve Morgan for 40 minutes or so. So we're just going to whiz through a few of these. Tim, you ready? Okay, let's do it. Okay, Trevor Amflit has asked, what's your funniest moment in a Wolves game? One of mine, he says, is when a Wolves fan ran onto the pitch and gave Graham Roberts a carrot after Roberts had made a a donkey gesture to Rob Hindmarsh, I think it was, in the previous match between the two teams. Um, Yeah, I think that was against the Albion 1991. Remember, I was in the South Bank that day, near the front, bizarrely. I don't know why, but yeah, a fan came on and uh, gave him some carrots. What's your funniest moment? It's just an absolutely incredible story, which I don't think gets told often enough, really. The, the whole carrot story. I've never heard anything like it. Um, what was I say? Oh, Bobby Gould, wasn't it? Wasn't, yeah. Was it? I've not, oh, before Gould. my time. Just before my time. Mm. No idea. I'm going to say, and I hope he's not listening, and we have had him on the pod so far, and he's a great guy. But do you remember when uh, Richard Stearman was running out of defence and he just completely fell flat on his face? <laughs> in like, But like properly. Like, it was like a Laurel and Hardy style moment. I remember everyone just absolutely creasing. Honestly, flat on his face. It's on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> he was just trying to, to bring the ball out. Oh, it's so good. I'm so sorry, Sears, if you're listening, which you won't be. Um, yeah, that... <laughs> It still makes me Don't laugh worry, someone will tell him that your laughing is expensive. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I think my funniest was, um, do you remember Mark Williams, the South Africa striker? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he, um, so he came to the club around the mid-90s and, um, and he came on as a sub. And there was so much anticipation of this bloke playing for Wolves and ideally scoring for Wolves. And so he came on. It took forever, forever for him to actually get a touch of the ball. And we were like screaming. I was in the South Bank that day. Give it to Williams, give it to Williams, give the bloke a touch. And finally the ball got to him and he just bobbled over his foot and went right out of play. And it was one of those you had to be there. But Brilliant. it was absolutely hilarious. The whole stadium, home and away fans, were absolutely wetting themselves because we've been screaming, um, give it to him, he's gonna score. I remember do you remember Mo Kamara just took a shot yes. out of the ground once as well? Mm. That was horrendous, <laughs> horrendous and hilarious. And also, do you remember Paul Crichton as well around that time, the West Brom keeper? And all yes. of his kicks went out of play. Oh, every single, literally yeah. every single goal kick went straight out of play. It was, it was. Oh, it's hilarious. Good days. Talking goalkeepers. Sorry, slight digress. It was Steve Cherry, Notts County. I think again, just before your time. Um, and uh, Wolves fans had a great, great time home and away singing the "You Fat So and So" word. It just every time relentless, and there seemed to be a million <laughs> goal kicks whenever we played Notts County, and uh, just highly entertaining. It was one of, in those days you didn't really. You didn't need to win games. Just entertain yourselves on the terraces. Absolutely brilliant. Um, Dave asks, if all the Wolves managers in history had a fight, who would win? Mm, um, Walter Zenger. Because he, he, would, he, would, he would go to great lengths to win. That guy's incessant. Not McGee, Mick McCarthy. Um, no, Not McGee. Zenger's just... He could be quite nasty, couldn't he? In a fight. Zenger's just a little... A little oh, what's the nicest way to say it? Um, oh, he's, he's just mental. <laughs> no, I'm gonna say, yeah, he's just mental. He's just mental. He do whatever it takes to win. <laughs> Excellent, Kyle Coyle. I like this one. If you had to isolate in a room with one Wolves player, past or present, who would it be? 
Now, I saw this pop up on Twitter last week, so I've had a little think about it. So, if it was if it was for the for the pure hilarity of it and for the banter, I mean, mm. someone like Cody or Sylvan, mm. Sylvan who we just had on, is great. Um, yeah. However, the journalist in me would say Peter Knowles to finally yes. get the story that no journalist has ever got. Like for local yes. journalists in Wolverhampton who've covered Wolves at the Express and Star, it's it's like a thing. It's a real thing. Who's who's going to tell Peter Knowles' story? He's never done an interview since he retired as one of the one of the great young players in the game to be a Jehovah's Witness. Um, that would be the one for me. Yeah, isolation with him. I remember uh, someone you'll know well, Jackie David Harrison, who used to mm. be Wolves correspondent for the Express and Star. I tried him again recently. You know, do you, do you want to have a do you want to do that interview, Peter? And, and he still said no. He just uh, no. eschews the limelight. Incredible story, really. What a shame, yeah. It would have been a good story. But um, Ron Flowers would be my answer. Played okay. in 40 consecutive games for England. And he was Ooh. in the 1966 squad, the World Cup squad. Um, but he was unused. And apparently he could have played in that final because uh, Jack Charlton was unwell the night before the final. And so yes. Ron Flowers had been put on standby. You imagine Wolves... Ron Flowers um, coming in for a World Cup final, having not played in the World Cup. Um, but instead, the next morning, Jack was absolutely fine, so we never got to. But he did win three league titles, runner-up twice, and won the FA Cup as well with Wolves. So um, some good stories. And his, his grandson, Harry, I think, was um, was planning on being a professional footballer. Yeah, he was, he was on the book. He was on the books at Burnley for a bit. I think I think he's, I think he's it, not yeah. league now. But yeah, we, we, mm. we'd have uh, we'd have won the World Cup final two 0 if, if Ron had played. <laughs> Only for extra time. <laughs> I'd love to know what happened afterwards and the nights out. Those players, oh, you imagine. They would have been superstars. And finally, from Stu, what was the last wolf shirt you bought and or wore to a game? <clears throat> oh, well, I mean, I've obviously I haven't bought one since started reporting on the club because that would just be weird um, if I was walking around <laughs> yeah. in a wolf stop. Uh, I think I bought, <laughs> I think I bought one in the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think mm. I bought the championship, last championship season, 12-13, before they were relegated, I think. And Oh, do you know what? i tell you what. Um, a few months before I got the job as Wolves reporter for the Express and Star, I, um, I wanted a scarf, but I didn't like the scarves they had on sale at the club because I thought the, mm. the badge just didn't look great, whatever. Anyway... I ended up buying like a Harry Potter style, proper, authentic, like gold, just gold and black, really long, yeah. but thick scarf, about 60 quid, right? And then, <laughs> honestly, it's amazing. It's such a good quid. scarf. It's such, it's such good quality and the feel of it. Oh, yes. And the colour's brilliant. Um, but I can't bloody wear it. I can't wear I can't wear that to a Wolves game now in the press box. It'll look like a right idiot. No, you literally um, can't wear it ever. No, I can't. No, I can't. I can't. So it's it's just there. I can see it right now. So it's just there. A sixty quid scarf. I'll never wear. Gotcha. <laughs> what a waste. I bought loads of stuff from the club shop since I last bought a shirt. I bought a couple of shirts for my kids actually. This time last year, it was their it was their birthday and took them to the Brighton game of all games. Um, so it's their birthday next Monday again. So I need to try and um, need to try and get the next kit up. But I think the last one. Do you remember when it was the club? The town crest rather than the club crest, which is like controversial, yeah. but out of darkness comes light. Yeah, but I still quite like the um, Goodyear one with the the tires all over it. That's supposed to be the worst Do one you? in history, but I, I don't know. I thought it was quite a cool shirt. Makes it so different. Yeah, you, 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 you've one. you've always been a bit different. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
that is very true, my friend. That is very true. Well, thank you, Tim. I've enjoyed thank this you. week with um, Will Clues, with Carl Henry and with Sylvan Ebanks-Blake. Brilliant to have all of them on and we thank them all for their time. Uh, now, make sure you have subscribed to The Athletic so you can read all the insight that Tim's providing for you, particularly in the absence of football. He's still beavering away with his great contacts and great content as well. Theathletic.co.uk is where you need to go to subscribe. You can listen to this podcast and all the other pods ad-free via The Athletic app. We'll be back same time next week, five o'clock in the morning on Tuesday morning into your regular podcast provider, wherever that may be. Thank you for listening to the Molly New View podcast. Bye for now. Thank you.